When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, what's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Hope you're well. Happy Wednesday. I just uh, meeting blueberries and oatmeal. My wife and I are on this cleanse. And the hardest thing about this cleanse, this isn't an ad, by the way. I'm just talking. Hardest thing about this cleanse is no coffee. I'm losing my mind, friends. I'm losing my mind but we can have matcha. Anyway, I hope you guys are well. This is an amazing podcast um, because this is something that we haven't, from what I remember, we haven't really covered before, but a lot of my clients and and behavioral nerds out there will love. This is a kind of corso that uh, basically doesn't love everybody, right? So we either like people or we hate people. And the question is coming up often with a lot of my clients is what do I do And is it realistic and fair for me to expect my dog to like these people because they're my friends and my family and my neighbors and these are good people? But what if your dog hates those people? What if your dog reacts to those people? What if you can't have these people into your house? So we're going to walk through all of that today. And there's just a lot of really great information here that I don't think we've talked about ever on the podcast. So I know that you guys are going to love this because this was a really lovely conversation and we talked about you know, people petting your dog or trying to pet your dog out in public and what that can cause and um, predicating your your training off of one thing and the the faults that can that can create. And there's just a lot of information on here uh, that I know is going to help you guys. So if you have a dog that uh, doesn't love everybody and you're wondering what is fair and realistic ask for me to ask my dog, this is for you for sure. And uh, I just appreciate you guys so much for listening. And as a reminder, I'm going to be answering three of your listeners, you guys as the listeners' dog training questions at the end of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you have a specific question, head over to the iTunes review chart and leave a review. If you're listening to this on Spotify, we put tons of time and energy into this. We stay up late. We wake up early to make this happen for you guys. Simply leave us a review for some feedback um, and some appreciation. So 
Let's get into the podcast. I'll talk to you at the end. Oh, and really quick, uh, I'm going to be on Fox Business this Friday at, I think, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you guys want to watch me on there, I'm going to do some puppy stuff with one of the anchors puppies. I've been on Fox before. It's a lot of fun I'm doing these live things in New York City. is always fun. It doesn't matter if it's today's show or Fox or whatever. So if you guys want to watch me, record me and screenshot it and share it with me, tag me on Instagram. That would be lovely. Um, so anyway, I'll see you guys this weekend, but also I'll see you at the end of the podcast. Bye. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Got sit. Sit, cash. Thank you. So this is my two-year-old Corso. Okay. He is people and dog reactive. Okay. And every trainer that I've went to said that I have very unrealistic goals for him. Okay. So we've been working on his past issues it's to a very manageable level now, but it's still not where I would like it to be. So pretty much with him, I don't expect him to be the friendly dog that everyone can walk up to and pet because that's just not his breed. But I want to be able to take him to the vet and have him not react. I want to be able to take him to Orschlins or PetSmart and not have to have a muzzle on him. Okay. Those are my goals so the first one what was the first one the vet and not react Mm -hmm. okay so when you say react you mean react towards other dogs or react towards people people okay and how how does that how does that work out right now i mean when you go to the vet how does the reaction what does it look like so um pretty much i have us go through the side door because again i know reactive mm-hmm. and so i have us go through the side where we have his muzzle on whenever we walk into the room that we're in as soon as they come in he starts barking at them and starts kind of like not lunging but like hitting them with the front part of his muzzle mm-hmm. like nudging them with his nose and like that's how he greets people okay and then he sits there now if they don't react to his bark then he stops okay and like then he okay. So the excuse me, the success from that situation is gonna come from your vet team. <clears throat> so the only the only people that can really get that to be better because the problem like they are the problem. Therefore yeah. therefore they will have to work with that situation. Right? Because okay. so say say you wanted your dog to be uh friendly with uh well, this is exactly what it is. Friendly with a with whatever it is, like X, right? So it's like, hey, my dog is, f- it sounds like fearfully reacting when X comes into the room or when X is around. And so in order to get your dog more comfortable and more secure and more confident around X, or in this case, the vet techs and the veterinarian, they will be half, they're the ones that have to help desensitize these things. Because if they if they help desensitize your dog's reactivity and or were comfortable enough to just take the leash and walk away then the reaction would go down minimally you know to a, because the problem is is you can't successfully predicate your goals off of a variable you can't control 
Because if you said, hey, I want to go, you know, today today's the day I go out and ride my bike. I, that's all my goal is. And then all of a sudden it absolutely downpours or it snows or whatever. You can't then mm-hmm. go, oh, man, like that, there's nothing you could do about that. That's something that you can't control. So you can definitely – your goals are real and your goals are, in my opinion, pretty easy to get to. But you can't you, – you need the thing that your dog is afraid of to cooperate and help you. So that's really okay. – yeah, that's really a conversation for your, for your vets just because here's the thing is – you can do all sorts of training to prepare yourself for that situation. <clears throat> but again, when you go into the vet office, it's a mixed bag of what you're going to get because you're going to get yeah. <clears throat> people who just started that day. You're going to get people that are afraid of big dogs. You're going to get veterinarians yeah. that are terrified of big dogs, which I've seen countless times. And yeah. <clears throat> so if you're like, hey, like if you just act a certain way, you're going to be fine and your dog's going to be fine. But again, the problem is, is if they come up and it's a same, it's a, so it's not unrealistic at all. It's just you, the only way that that's going to get better is if th- the people that he's reacting to actually, mm-hmm. actually spend time with him. Yeah. So we have a very long, um, introduction to people that he meets at our house. I've had quite a lot of success with it, but it's not a hundred percent. Pretty much what I do is cause I have a pet gate that I keep him behind. Pretty much. I have them walk in front of the pet gate and toss treats over. Hey, mm-hmm. enough. Go play. Place. Thank you. Sorry. Um, so I have him behind the pet gate. They walk through and they toss treats over. Well, they do that for a couple minutes and obviously without reactions. I have him on a muzzle and a leash. I bring him in to actually be able to be in the same room with the person. Again, they continue to toss treats on the floor. Then we work up to no leash and then no muzzle. Mm-hmm. And I've had some success. I mean, it's about... I'd say 70, 30, 70% he's good with the people after I go through that. And then about 30% he's not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, th- at that point, we never get to the point where we take off the muzzle. Because mm-hmm. he's usually reacting every step before then. So then I just put him either outside to go play with his sister or leave him in my room with a licking mat or something like that while the guests are there. Yep. And so I don't really know how to get it to where it's more, I guess, foolproof or well, how to get. Well, like you said earlier in the conversation is he's not going to like everybody because of his breed. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to like that. That 30 percent is just who he doesn't like. And that's that. That's what Corsos do. Almost every single one of them I've ever met have always that's that's why you get corsos is because you want them to be protective yeah. and you want them to, to 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 be that dog and so again like reiterating what you were saying earlier is you don't want him to necessarily be friendly with everybody and right now he's yeah. only friendly with 70 percent, and then the other 30 percent, he's like i just we're not going to get along either but again so so i mean you kind of that's your own 
you know, that you already, you already understand that. And so if, if you, if you understand, you know, who he is, which you do, and he's like, you know, I don't really love everybody because again, you know, Corsos, you have to, like when Corsos are puppies, you have to treat them like a therapy slash service dog almost. You have to bring them out and socialize the absolute shit out of them. And I find that a lot of people who get Corsos do the opposite it's because they have this mindset of like this is a big this is going to be a big scary dog and whatever. I'm not saying that's what you did, but my point is is um, it's been very unlikely for me working with corsos to get a you know a very balanced neutral cor. They're out there, but it, it takes a lot of like foundational stuff. So again, like that thirty percent is if he turns around and says I don't I don't like this, I don't like yeah. this person. And you understand like, okay, he's not going to like everybody, like you already said. And that 30% he doesn't like. And and oftentimes I find that that 30% he doesn't like, it, again, like it has nothing to do with training, like at all. Like there is no yeah. training. There's no training involved. It's not like you trained your, you know, again, you trained to be the best bicyclist in the world and then it just starts pouring. Like that has nothing to do with your abilities and, and your will to go out and train. It's just like, this isn't realistic to set myself up. So if he, if he takes that 30% and again, likely he doesn't like that 30% because of something they're doing, Mm -hmm. how they're acting, how their behavior is, whatever. Like, you know, I just think, I I just think you should live by what you were saying earlier where you're like, I don't really want him. He doesn't need to be friendly with every single person but also I want him to be friendly with every person. So it's like. Well, it's mostly my family. Mm-hmm. I only have three people in my family that he likes. Everyone else cannot be around. Yeah. And obviously I live eight hours away from my family. So whenever they come up, they're here for a couple of days. And it's kind of like a, I either have to get him boarded or I have to, you know, like keep him away from the main part of the house where everyone else is. And that's not fair to him either, mm-hmm. but I don't want to put him in a situation to where he feels the need to make a bad choice by fighting one of my family members or something like that. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, a, I don't really know how to, if there's any way I can work with him to try to get him to eventually like. You can't, my- you can't get him to like these people he doesn't like. You can get him to be mutual around these people like okay you could get him to be like you can have the most aggressive dog in the world but if you have the best training it doesn't matter how aggressive your dog is you know like you can get him to be around these people but they can't go up and pet him and stuff like again you know like you said in the beginning like you don't expect him to like everybody and there's a select few of people he doesn't like but in your head you're like but i need him to like these people and that's just not like if he doesn't like these particular people, you can't make him. That's not like that has, that has zero to do with dog training at all. It's, it's all just like who this dog wants. I mean, you didn't get a golden retriever. You have a Connie Corso that's supposed to be extraordinarily pushy and protective. And that's what he's doing. And if it's a 70, 30 split, I would consider yourself lucky because there's a lot of Corso owners that I talk to that can't have anybody over nobody, not one person. Yeah. So you know, I'm just being honest with you that, and it's helpful that, you know, you're also doing the same is 
you're saying like, he doesn't like these people in my family. He despised them. Like he doesn't like them. And there's, there's nothing you can do for him to act the same. He does with the people that he does enjoy and does like, but that doesn't, that, that doesn't mean, and here's a big, but, but that doesn't mean that they can't be over. It's just, you have to line up your expectations. And that's, that's kind of my job is there may be some people that's like, Hey, that's never going to happen. Yeah. I would say if he doesn't like these people, which you've already said before, like he doesn't like these people, that's not going to change. However, you can still get these people around with him. It's just, you can't let your guard down necessarily. So, so like you just did this place. So if you have these people over, say it's like, you know, your uncle and your aunt, right? They come over and he's, he doesn't like them. So he's automatically like growling and posturing. And, and again, you may be, here's the frustrating thing for dog owners is you're like, I don't get it. Like he likes my other aunt and uncle, but he doesn't like these ones. I don't understand. And there's, I think that's one of the hardest things for dog owners to really comprehend because in your head, you're probably like, he's capable of doing it, which he is, but for whatever reason, maybe they, I don't know. That's a, that's a weird thing. I can't tell you. I don't know why certain dogs are just like, I don't like this person, yeah. you know? So once that happens, that doesn't mean you can't tell him, Hey, this is what you, so you have to have your, I think you just also have to have your, um your expectations really clear too, because it sounds to me, here's, here's, I'm just going to walk you through a scenario and, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or anything. I just want to walk you through a scenario I think is what I'm hearing from experience as well as you have a, you know, a Corso that doesn't like certain family members. And then when they come over, he is um, doing all the things, right? Posturing, hackles up, growling, whatever he's doing, potentially lunging, barking. So okay. here, what's that? Sorry. That's great. Go ahead. He doesn't ever growl at him. What he does he do? Bark. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah. So that's even better. I mean, behaviorally, because growling is a little bit more like personal, I think. Growling's more like, that's really like, you know, a growl is like, mm, I don't know about you, buddy. Barking is more, sometimes more of this like passive, honestly. It's like, hey, get out of here. Come on, man. Go. Get. I don't like yeah. you, whatever. And growling can be more like personal, I feel. So okay. here's here's my point is if and again, I'll, I'll I, j- I just want to be fair and honest with you that if he doesn't like these people and you already know, like, yep, he doesn't like you. And you, you already said, like, there's certain people that he likes and there's certain people he doesn't like. But I want you to understand that um, oh, training isn't going to change the be- the way that this dog perceives these individuals. But it, mm-hmm. it, it can certainly help. And I'm going to go over a couple of things that can break this down for you. So let's say this aunt and, um, aunt and uncle came in that he didn't like. You can you can tell him what you just did. Hey, go to your bed and stay. But the problem is this, is he doesn't like these individuals. They may know mm-hmm. that as well. So again, I'm, I'm just being honest. He's not, he's not going to just turn a leaf to say, oh, well, why didn't you say you were not, you know, whatever, the bad person, and then fold over. And I'm going to go over that route in a minute and how to, if you wanted to get them better, I'm going to go over that in a minute. But say, say those people came in, say, hey man, go to your place and stay. And then they came in. The problem is, 
is you're going to be more stressed. Well, there's going to be there's going to be a three way tie of stress. Your your relatives that come over that know that he that the dog doesn't like him. You know, you get this big corso that's staring at you, and you're like, yeah, this is fun. this is fun. And then you get you know you because you're just like. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you, I'll go get it for you. Don't move, you know? And then you get the dog. That's also like, I don't like these people. So for me, again, as a lifestyle type of trainer, if you will, to make your life better, there's just, it's so much more beneficial for you to do what you're already doing because your dog isn't going to turn a leaf and go, Oh, I love you now. I'm trust me. If I yeah. had this magic potion and this trick that gets dogs that innately and primally doesn't like a certain thing to like these, like the imagine if I had this trick that like helped dogs like the groomer or liked fireworks or liked thunder. It's just there's certain things that, especially for certain breeds, like you know the Rottweilers, the Corsos, the Presses, these dogs that are already like they take their security very seriously, and once yeah. they're like. I don't, you know, you need to get out. It's really difficult. So I'm going to, so my point is, is you can do that. You can have your cake mm -hmm. and eat it too. I just don't, the benefit of that is not going to outweigh you just sticking in the other room, hanging out, you know? And I understand that these people are going to be around for a couple of days, but again, like this isn't, this isn't that like, and I'm just talking to you from like a dog culture's point of view, this isn't like the golden retriever or the lab or whatever. This is a big security investment dog, you know? And so it's not really like, if you said, oh yeah, would my family come over? I just, you know, rotate him around to make it fair for him and be done with it. That is not unfair to do. Like I've, yeah. I've done that with certain police dogs that we've housed before, where if I had, let's say I had, I had somebody coming over at two and three, well, in the morning I'm running them and then at two and three, they're, they're either out back or they're in the kennel or they're in the other room. And I just tell people like, Hey, that dog is off limits. Sure. No problem. What dog? Right. Oh, I didn't even know you had. It. Okay, cool. And then halfway yeah. through the people coming over, I get the dog, I leash him up. Hey guys, I'm just going to bring him for a walk. I bring him outside and they come back in and, and there's no harm, no foul. And it's much yeah. better instead of coming in and saying, okay, all my friend, all my relatives that just came over from, you know, that far away. I want you all to be very careful with my dog here and don't pet him. Don't look at him. Don't breathe near him. Don't, don't glance at him. Don't go to the refrigerator. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like this. And again, as somebody who's a dog lover, but also a professional and a behavioral expert, it's, it's more stressful to do that than not. But okay, let me go down the other road. Sometimes dogs have this Hey, I don't like you, but if you, if you, here's the kicker. If you, this is like with your vet as well, your vet or your vet techs or your vet office in general is if there's been bad experiences. And of course the vet, there's always bad experiences for dogs there because it's not a very fun experience for them. But say these people came over and, and I don't know these relatives or anything, but if they were like super motivated and also caring and inspired maybe to be like, hey, I, I, you know, I want to make this better between us. And you're like, great. There's things that you can do to try to get this gap to, to you know, get better. But again, this is all dependent on this, your family member, unfortunately. 
So you have, let's say your uncle comes over and your dog doesn't like your uncle, never has. And you're like, hey, if you want to try, we can try some things to get you guys to hang out, right? But that's a big if, right? So you, so then you get, so again, like this is what I do with my behavioral dogs. We just, we do it like every week, right? We have a dog that comes in that is muzzled. We just did it with a border collie that we just put a video out on. So dogs come in, they're super like, that dog in particular is very fearful, but they will air snap, they will bite, they have a bite history, but they're not going to mean it like yeah. some other dog. They're not attacking, they're just like, correcting, get away from me, a fight or flight type thing. So, so you could say, okay, uncle Jimmy, we're going to go outside. We're going to take a walk together. I'm going to muzzle my dog and we're going to go for a walk. But you have to, but again, like, and I'm just telling you, I don't want to say that getting your dog that doesn't like these people for whatever reason to like them Mm -hmm. is impossible because I do it every week. Yeah. And, or I do it. Okay. I should rephrase. I do it to a point where I can coexist around the dogs without them coming after me, right? So we just had yeah. last week, we had three muzzled dogs come in, all of them with a bite history. And by the end of the weekend, I was handling all of them and around them very comfortably. But I want to be clear yeah. that they don't necessarily like me, mainly because yeah. we haven't spent enough time with one another. And they just don't like new people because they were abused or because they didn't, whatever the case is. But I could... I could say, hey, let me take the leash and walk away, and we were fine. But again, like with a Corso, once that – so say you went out and you did all that, the person that's doing this has to fall under the very patient, understanding, also semi-skillful dog handler to make that work. So it it just seems to me like the amount of work that you'd have to do – and the amount of variables that would have to shift in your way for that to be successful with these people is much more complicated and stressful than just saying like, I don't know why he doesn't like you, but you know, I'm just going to put him away or whatever. I t- and listen, I want to put down the expert gloves and just say as a dog lover myself, I totally understand how frustrating this can be. And how in your head you're probably thinking like there's got to be a way and there is a way, but I want to be clear that the, the only way that that would be successful is if the same thing with the vet is if the thing that your dog was like, you know, it's kind of like not liking somebody for some reason. You're like, I just, they rub me the wrong way. I don't like them. They would. So you can't have a friend come over and be like, no, they're really cool. Like, trust me. Like you'd like them a lot. They like sports and they like, you know, whatever. Right. And you're like, I just, I don't know, man. You know that they would almost have to like hang out be like, just go like, go sit down and just go, let's go, let's all go grab a beer together or something. Like they'd have to actually spend time together in order for these things to unfold and be like, you know what? That guy's not so bad. You're right. But I think again, the only problem is, is that person would have to be willing and able to do that. You know, like if he doesn't like kids, right? So it's like you get two nephew nieces over and he hates the kids. You're not going to be like, oh, let's just try to see if this works. Let's put the muzzle on. Let's put the place because, again, you can't control the kids. You can't say, you know, they're they're hanging out. They're They're excited to be over with family. They're excited to be at your house. They're excited to see you and everyone else. And they got the trucks going and they got the, you know, whatever going on the TV and it's exciting times. And you don't want to have to like sit there and hold your breath of like, oh, no, 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 don't get too close to the dog. Like 
it's just if you have a dog that has this edginess, I think it's so much more responsible and less stressful if you just pick your battles. So I, but I, but again, the other side is you can definitely get him like for the vet. Yeah. You could, you could go into the vet and just say like, like if your vet is, um, you know, willing and able, you can just say, Hey, um, you know, this is so-and-so I have my dog and he's really, he's really scared at the vet. I'd really like to make this a better experience and environment for him and for you guys. Is it okay if I just drop by once or twice a week to come over and, you know, get him into the vet, pay him a bunch of good stuff and then leave. And those are the things you'd have to do and you can do it. I'm just, so I just want to be clear that everything Mm -hmm. that I'm not going to tell you like, Oh, it's impossible to get your dog to coexist successfully. It is going to be extremely difficult and or unrealistic to get a dog that's like, I don't like this person to then like that person. But yeah. I will say this <clears throat> from experience. We have a dog named Hawk. He's a Malinois mm-hmm. that we took into our police program and he ended up just not having the best environmentals. He just he is kind of he doesn't like new people, okay? So listen, this is this is kind of interesting because there, he he doesn't like new people at all. Like if you're and he's so smart and so intelligent that if he came into a room, he'd immediately know who he knows and who he doesn't. It's like unbelievable. He's like the secret service, this dog. It's unbelievable. Or if like he's out in the X-Pen airing out, like running around, and we bring a group of people by, mm-hmm. he, it's, he'll like come up to, and wag his tail and then immediately look at somebody he doesn't know. It's unbelievable how his radar works. It's impressive, honestly. But if he doesn't know you, I would safely say like you have to, you have to, he has to be muzzled because he will try to come after you. And I've seen it happen before, but we all professionally understand his, his behavior, right? We understand, okay, if he doesn't know you, he's off limits. We have signs, we tell people like he lives at the facility and has for years and he's successful because we're safe with them, right? So same thing. This is a dog that will actually engage like a hundred percent. And it's not even just barking. It's like he will engage, right? But here's the interesting thing. And this is where we'll give you a little bit of light. Is if you do this routine with him that we have, we have like a protocol with him that if you feed him a couple days and you talk to him enough and you're in, you're in. And when I mean you're in, once you cross from I don't know you and like you to I love you, it's like I'm not even- you never. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Like he's rolling on his back. He, he, once you're in, you never have to worry about it again. He's like the loveliest, sweetest, affectionate dog I've ever, definitely the most affectionate Malinois I've ever met. But just in general, like kisses you all over, rubs on you, jumps on you, whines when you come in, just excited dog. So the interesting thing is, is, you know, if I were to ask myself, as a professional about Hawk and say like, Hey, this is this dog who hates people. I would say he hates people. He hates people. Kind of like what I'm, what I've said to you and what others have said to you. But I'm just saying like, if I brought in your aunt and uncle, he would hate them. He would say, I want to kill them. Right. I don't know them. I don't like them. I don't want them around. 
But if I said to your aunt and uncle, I said, look, guys, or your vet techs or whatever, and this has happened with vets, right? It's the same exact thing. I'm like, if you guys just spend the time to get to know him, he's going to be fine. But if you yeah. don't know him, so so it's the same thing. Like when we bring him to the vet, it's stressful for everybody because if they were to come to – like if this one v- veterinarian were to come to our facility and hang out with him mm-hmm. for a couple weeks – and then when we needed to bring him in for shots once a year or whatever it is, he would be fine. But that's not realistic to happen. Yeah. So we know that when we bring him, he's extremely muzzled. He does get sedated by them and all these things, you know, if needed. So I'm just kind of giving you my own experience that a dog that looks like he doesn't like people can can do better. But what I'm saying yeah. is, is you have to be able – that person – has to be able to meet them, meet your dog halfway. Like Hawk isn't just going to like somebody because they're around enough. He he hates my videographer, Abby, because she hasn't done like the protocols. Right. But she's been around for over two years and he just is like, I don't like, we, we, we don't have that relationship. Right. So just because they're around doesn't mean shit to him. They have to go through the protocols. But again, in your case, it's this. It's it could be the same thing where he switches to that lovey dovey, goofy dog that you know and love. But I want you to understand that the success of that is not going to come from you. It's going to come from the vet techs and your uncles and relatives. And sometimes, yeah. it's going to be much better to just say like, "This isn't realistic." Like this isn't realistic for my aunt and my uncle that just traveled all this way to get to me to say, okay, now you got to go train this dog that you may or may not be afraid of that has a muzzle on that may try to bark at you. (laughs) So I just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. Well, so he's exactly like Hawk in the sense of once you're in, you're in. Like if you spend an hour with him and he doesn't react, like you're good. Mm -hmm. And like, I never have to worry about him again. And I don't have a whole lot of people over to my house. I have my grandparents, who he loves, my dad, who he loves, my mom that he's okay with. He's kind of skeptical of her, but he hasn't ever reacted badly towards her. Mm. And he cannot stand my brother. He nipped at my aunt. And then that's really my only family that he's ever been around. My friends and stuff like that, it's a hit or miss. Mm-hmm. There's some friends that he doesn't like, some friends that he does. One of my friends was sitting on the couch. We were watching TV, and Cash crawled up on the couch with him, and he was fine. Mm. And just, it's it's a hit and miss with him. Yeah. But my main concern is ever since he nipped at my aunt, my aunt does not want anything to do with him. She's terrified of him, and that's fine. Sure. Whatever. But my brother is the one that I'm concerned about because obviously he's 12. He comes to see me. I go to see him about two, three times a year. And obviously I have to either get cash boarded or leave, you know, like leave him with my dad so I can go and see my mom and my brother. Mm -hmm. And like, I want to be able to get them to at least be able to be in the same room. I'm not saying that they have to be best friends, but just to be able to be in the same room. Cause I don't like keeping him in the room with, you know, like a licking mat or Kongs or whatever, and only bringing him 
into the main room, you know, like 15, 30 minute intervals and then putting him back in there and letting him go outside, you know, that's not fair to him. Mm -hmm. And I don't like doing that, but I don't want my 12 year old brother getting bit either, you know, and I don't want cash to make, you know, feel like he has to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Totally. I'm with you. It's a, it's a double-edged sword almost, you know? Um, and I totally understand. I just, I think, um, I, I mean, if it were me, the easiest thing to do would be to have, uh, have your dad watch him. Obviously that's like the easy, that's like a win-win because he loves your dad. And then when you go, you don't have to worry about what's fair to your brother and what's fair to your dog. Because, because again, let's say, this whole situation that we've been talking about, even if I said, Hey, here's the secret sauce, here's the secret recipe. Right. And it was patented like gold, like bomb proof. It worked on every dog that was suspicious ever. Right. But your 12 year old brother has to fall under these guidelines and has to do exactly these things. And you're like, well, he's 12. So I don't know if that's going to work. Right. So, so my point is, is if it's, um, that, I mean, you can, you can do the, you could do like the, again, like the, the place this. So what I would do, okay, let me back up what I would do to help their relationship because 12 is a funny age for kids. I think it's like this. I'm definitely not like a child anymore per se. I'm starting to become a young adult, but it can go to either end of the spectrum. You know, there's really mature 12 years old. There's really not. And so 12 is a tricky age, but I think what I would do to help their relationship mm-hmm. is to, you know, bring them outside and start to work with them and start saying, hey, let's go outside for a walk. Let's go for a walk and just walk around. And that's what we do all the time with with Mike. If I have a dog that comes in like that, like mm-hmm. I have a dog on my channel named Bruce. He's the size of a Corso. He might have been like a big Corso mix, big dog. And he did the same thing. He tried to like eat me through the, I think the title of the video was like he tried to murder me because he was like, he was so pissed off at me. And I just said, let's just go for a walk. And then yeah. he, he did lunge at me a couple of times, but then after, you know, after that it was fine. So there's, there's also situations and environments and techniques to make it as successful as you can. And then there's the opposite of here's the things yeah. you never want to do. And if you're doing those things, there's a very slim chance that it's going to go good. So what I'll just start off with what you don't want to do, what you don't want to do. And I, and I'm, when I say these things, I'm not saying that you're doing them. So, you know, take it, take it with a grain of salt here. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to say you go, you get to your mom and your brother's house and then you pull in and you come in with them and everything's really exciting. And the dog freaks out. Like what you want to do is leave them in the car, go out, you know, meet your fam, go inside, meet your family, all that stuff safely. And then you just tell your brother like, Hey man, we're going to go for a walk together with the dog just so you guys can start to acclimate. Don't say anything to him. Don't talk to him. Don't touch him. You can just, we're just going to talk you and I, and he's just going to be with us. And then yeah, you go outside, you muzzle him up and you're, you're, mu- so you're muzzling him for everyone's safety. So I don't want you to think that the muzzle is, the muzzle's your safety zone for the dog and for your your brother because again at 12 you could be okay let's go for a walk okay everything's great he's sniffing him and then you realize your dog really doesn't care about him at all you're in a 
different environment. It's neutral. He doesn't feel vulnerable. He doesn't feel trapped. He doesn't feel anything. And your brother's on your right and your dog is on your left and you're walking. But then there's that, your phone's ringing, you go to pick it up and then your brother's like, this has been great. And he reaches over to pet him. Boom. That's why the muzzle's on. So when you're out, you're just muzzle, brother, and even your mom or whatever. And you're just out walking and you're just shooting the shit, talking, having a good time. And then you just read the situation. And then what you do is you, and you guys are in tandem. And then what you do is you said, Hey buddy, why don't you just walk ahead just a little bit. And then you just have your, your dog kind of sniff him and air scent him and just try to get to know him. And that is the way to start that relationship. And then what you would do is if there's a chain link fence and the weather's permitted and all that, you know, all the variables have to go in your direction, right? Uh, if not, then inside with the gate, like you do the baby gates and stuff where you would give your brother treats, throw it over and things like that. But again, your brother just has to play this so well in order for it to work. And if he makes yeah. a mistake, you're going to lose and, yeah. and it's going to be frustrating for everybody. And it's not, and it's nobody's fault. You know, it's like, it's yeah, not the no. dog's fault. It's not your fault. It's not your brother's fault. Like, you know, again, like you're as, as a behavioral guy, like when I'm in these situations, I am so hyper-focused on I am thinking in my head, what is the worst, absolute worst case scenario that can happen right now? And I know the worst case scenario, which is why I don't take my eyes off the situation ever. But other people yeah. who haven't seen the violence that can occur from certain dogs, like you know your dog and you know the yeah. worst case scenario that could happen. And it may not be anything what I'm thinking of, but because you know I've been doing this, I think of like what I've seen. And I'm like, if you just look away for a second, things can go terribly wrong. So my point is, is, you know, say your mom comes through the back door and things are getting exciting. And then he kind of like jumps up on the gate and then your brother reaches. Oh, I mean, your brother reaches to give him a treat and you're like, no. And he's like, I thought you said, give him a treat. And there's like this whole thing that can happen. Like, right. So say your mom comes in the back door again, your dog jumps up on the gate because he's overly stimulated. He's excited. He's, he's, he's doing Corso stuff in somebody else's house. He's like, Hey, who are you? And then your brother's standing right there that was just feeding him safely through the gate then reaches up to try to give him a piece of food. And then there's this whole thing. The gate falls down. It's a mess, right? All these things can happen. And then you're scratching your head. You're like, I should have just left him with my dad. Like, what am I doing? This is crazy. So again, I, I, I want to play devil's advocate and I want to be fair to you that yes you can do it and it could work out where you're like wow this is going great but again like because you see your brother you said two or three times a year that also raises a different flag because he's 12 so for your dog at at the point where he's at you know he comes and he gets let's say comfortable with your brother and you know, maybe he's behind just say, Hey man, we're just going to put him in the kitchen. So don't, don't go in the kitchen. And, and then that way, like it's not putting him, you know, in a small room or putting him completely away. It's just like, let's just relax. Let's watch a movie. Let's hang out. I don't have to worry about it. He's in the kitchen. He's not going after my brother. He's been super good, but I'm going to be overprotective over like just double down on your safety. Great. Um, but then you go later that year and your brother's now two feet taller you know, because yeah. he's now 13 or whatever. And now you have to do it all over again. So I just want you to be mindful of these things. That's all. And 
mostly for exactly like I've already seen he's gotten to a dog fight before. And obviously I know what he can do. Luckily neither of them were hurt in that dog fight, but it's like I know if I have them two, you know, like my brother and Cash in the same room, if I look away for a second, things could just go completely sideways, which is why I only let him come out at like 15, 30 minute intervals, Mm -hmm. just so I can make sure that whenever Cash is in the room, I can be a hundred percent focused on him and what they're doing. So, you know, I don't get distracted by something or anything like that. Yeah. But, so, and this is an honest um, question. I have read that with reactive dogs, and I don't know if this is true, which is why I'm asking. Sure. But I've read with reactive dogs that bite work, like the protection, can actually be very beneficial to them. Yeah. Like building their confidence, stuff like that. Does this sound like a situation that I could try to get him in? Or would it be good for him? Yes. So it's a great question. Great question. And I'll stay in my lane on this one, but I do have experience and I've worked around all that stuff a lot. They actually do a bike group at my facility every week. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing protection work with a protection breed, it's a great mm-hmm. outlet, right? So it's a great outlet to teach the dog how to do the, so it's like this, you know, it's like teaching, you know, giving a horse a field. You're like, yeah. oh, this is, this makes sense. See ya, zoom, <laughs> right? So yeah. when you get a protective dog and you outlet that to say, hey, this is how to take all that stuff that's go- swirling around in your brain to be this protective, bossy, pushy dog. We want you to do this on the weekends at club and we don't necessarily want you to do this at the house. Now here's where, so again, in dogs, there's, I think people take a very like very, very, very oversaturated what's the worst case scenario that can happen and then apply it as a general statement of if you do it absolutely terribly wrong and you make all the wrong mistakes, then some people take that and go like, this is what's going to happen if you try this with your dog. And it's like, no, no, no. That's what happens when you don't know what the hell you're doing and you do everything wrong. So again, like, and that's what, that's, that's literally what politics and tabloids are, right? It's like, what is the absolute worst case scenario that could ever happen? Well, that's what everyone's going to see and, and feel and go through and experience if you try that. And it's like, that's not even the same thing at all. So when you're doing protection work, the most important thing is, is to have a good decoy and have a good camp that you're doing this with, because Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're getting a dog like that to out outsource or to outlet and to blow off that protective steam that these corsos have the goal is is to make it as fun as possible for the dog with with still giving them that outlet right so you don't make it defensive you don't make it you don't push them to like be aggressive and and again like if you were to take a pet the same pet owner that's like standing there in line to ban shock collars for dogs is the same pet owner that would see a Malinois, Dutchie, Corso, Rottweiler, Healer, Border Collie do bite work for fun to say like that dog's aggressive, put it down. When in actually that dog is like my dog does that all the time. Like she'll do bite work. And if you don't know dogs and you're not in the culture enough as like a whole spread, 
you'll look at that yeah. dog biting somebody's leg sleeve and be like, that dog is attacking dogs that should never be around people. You should euthanize it. When she is the sweetest dog in the whole world and she yeah. would never, ever, 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 ever in a million years do that out of context of that decoy, right? But it takes a lot of years of development to get to that point. So my point is, is when you're doing bite work and you're doing the outletting, it's just like bringing a border collie to a barn hunt or a border collie to a lure course or X, Y, Z, herding course, whatever. We can go all day. So when you bring a course out of bite work, it's literally the same thing. What it does is, is again, you want a good decoy and you want a good club that can slowly bring these things out of your dog in a very passive, fun way where you don't want it yeah. to defense and be like, hey, like, and again, that's what everyone thinks. I've had people come up to me and they're like, I could get my dog to bite that guy. I'm like, oh my God, you are so <laughs> far away from what we're doing. It's not even fun. And these are people that are like professionals, like professional dog trainers have said that to me. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is not good that that's what you think is going on right here. So it's a, it's a, it's a very high level, you know, so I always give context, but my answer is, is that would be absolutely perfect. If you have a good decoy, you have a good club that understands you like, Hey, my Corso is doing Corso shit at home. And I'm trying to not let that be a thing. You know, I'd love to outlet these things and build some confidence in these things. And again, like this would be great for you because you'll be able to get him around a bunch of other people and club and blah, blah, blah. And then you might get some typically like decoys again, typically mm-hmm. generally in my experience, decoys are usually like trainers as well. So if you get a good decoy man or woman, um, that's decoying your dog and gets comfortable with your dog and teaches your dog like, Hey man, this is, this is the time to do what you want to do. And we're going to do it all the time. But once they get comfortable, they might be able to lend you with some training opportunities and help you with that. Um, so I absolutely think that it could be beneficial for you guys for sure. Um, you just have to make sure as a dog owner that's watched all sorts of ring sports and IG3 and Schutzen and all this mm-hmm. stuff, you just don't want to put this dog into defense where they're, they're like antagonizing the dog to, to react. You want to make it super, super fun. Um, in the beginning of bite sports, really what, like what it looks like in the beginning is, mm-hmm is you get a tug out that your dog might like. You're like, oh yeah, he likes a tug. You put it on a rope and you just kind of, you just throw it around the room and then your dog starts barking at this thing and gets excited and then you pay the dog and you put him away. And then you develop to a wedge and then you develop to a, a pillow and then you develop to a sleeve and you develop all these things and it looks great. And it's like this finished product and it's an amazing thing. You just want to make sure it's, you know, it's a good decoy and you do your, if it doesn't feel right to you, then, you know, maybe back up, but you can like clubs are great. Like you could always go and watch and see how they're working. And there's a lot of, um, and again, this is, I don't, I'm not in the world, so I can talk shit about it as much as I want, I guess, but it just seems like there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of red tape that you have to go around. And I think that if you don't do it right, you might get a decoy that's just trying to like build all these neurotic dogs and it's just not beneficial. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. Do you know any good fight work clubs in Missouri? Mm. 
I don't off the top of my head. Um, but if you're anywhere near like big city, there's always like the best thing to do is mm-hmm. to, did you get your breeder or did you get your dog locally or no? So it was actually kind of a backyard situation. Ah. So pretty much, uh, she had bought three different dogs from two different ethical breeders and two of them ended up having a litter of puppies. I found them on Facebook. I met with her. She didn't seem too bad. It seemed just like an accidental litter at the time, you know, and obviously it was just kind of like, okay, I went ahead and got him. And then she turned around and had a second litter. So then I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. accidental litter. <laughs> yep. And now you got this dog that can't be around 30% of your family, you know, so it's, it's all, a you know, it, anyway, so I don't, but what I, anyway, what I would do is, is, you know, maybe, I mean, the best place to, to, to find is just like Facebook groups, just, you know, search out there like, Hey, does anybody know any protection, protection, uh, clubs around here? And, uh, you'd be interested yeah. in getting into it, you know, and, um, you know, just don't, don't do like the Facebook thing where you're like, I got this Corso and I think he should go bite some, I know you're not, I'm just saying like, this is what people do. And then you're, and then there's people like me or other professionals that are rolling their eyes like, oh God, please no, <laughs> you know? So just, just ask around like, Hey, does anybody know of any protection clubs around the area? I'd be interested in going to watch and see how that works. And, and then you just kind of feel it out a little bit and. You know, there's like anything else, right? There's good restaurants and there's bad restaurants. And so it doesn't matter if it's a cup of coffee or a candle or a dog trainer. It's you're going to get high quality. Wow, this is this is great. You know, this person with this cup of coffee knows their shit. They went to Ethiopia and and did the and met with the people and saw where the beans grow and they do the and then there's people that are like, they don't, just don't care. Right. So there's, you know, there's people who do their research and travel to get education and do their best. And so it's just a crapshoot. So you just have to like interview the process out and, um, see how it goes. And then the other thing I would say is, uh, have you done any remote collar training? No, one thing that I have not done yet. Okay. So that would also be helpful for you just for those moments where you're if you do decide to integrate your dog into these situations to be able to reach out and touch your dog from anywhere in your property is going to be, you know, very, um, game changing for you knowing that you can stop your dogs in his tracks from across the room if you ever needed to, or, or just in general, when you, in my opinion, remote collar training is the highest most advanced piece of training that you could ever do on, I don't care how you train, where you train, what your techniques and methods are training your dog wirelessly with modern technology is the highest form of education for a dog. They're understanding the computer. And if you, and I think every dog deserves that because it gives them the off leash freedom. Not everybody's willing to pay the money to get their dog to that point, which is okay. But anytime you have a dog that makes these decisions and, or has this protective thing, you know, say he got out on accident and the mail truck driver to the Amazon guy decides to pull up or walk by at the same time. Like anytime you have a dog that has this 70, 30 split of who they like and who they hate, <laughs> it's your, resp- yeah. and, and it doesn't matter if you have a, again, a, 
a mixed breed that's 100% loves people, you want to be able to have yeah. this wireless control. And so I always tell people, just in general, like, that's the best form of communication effectively. So that's the other thing you could get into. I have um, all sorts of videos and courses and everything that you basically need to to train your dog off leash with that. But that's going to be really helpful. And it's also going to give the dog confidence as well. Like for an example, people ask all the time, how does, I'll just give you two examples of e-collar confidence. It's really fun. So when you get a dog that is is unsure of what to do, and you basically train them that you can you can touch them from a distance. Like so, say you you said, "Hey, buddy, go to your place. Go to your bed." He goes to his bed, and somebody walks by, you know, in the house that he's unsure of. You being able to say, "Hey, stay, good, stay, buddy," and he knows that you can touch him from there, is just reinforcing yeah. for him that giving that confidence. Like you're you're never gone. Like you're always right there with him. And that is yeah. really helpful to a dog that's like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. What to do. And you, you can touch him anywhere. You, he can feel you anywhere. Um, and that just like helps that confidence. And it also is a huge confidence factor in the beginning stages of training through negative reinforcement. So you're tapping him on the shoulder until he gets to his bed. And then when he gets there, you go, yay, good place. Boom. And you pay him. And so when he yeah. shuts that shoulder tap off, when he shuts that remote collar off through negative reinforcement, so you're reinforcing mm-hmm. a behavior by removing the stimulation and the stimulation is n- not punitive, not stressful, not corrective at all. It's just tapping the dog on a shoulder. So when they get there and they, sh- so then, so then once you get to like the second stage where you're mm-hmm. sending him to his place without walking him there and he shuts it off on his own again is like this, yay, you did it. Good job, buddy. And it's just this comp. It just, it adds one more level of reward to the dog and it helps them become more confident and so you're rewarding them you know with the remote collar you're rewarding them with your verbal praise and all this stuff so it's a beautiful thing for sure okay yeah i'll have to look at so right now about a year ago i could not walk him on a leash because he pulled Hmm. pulled me to the ground times i invested in obviously a prong collar and a muzzle and now we're able to actually go on daily walks with a slip lead and no muzzle without having any daily reactions but he's still having those same reactions in orselands like whenever we go there mm-hmm. and like again like that and so it's like how can i kind of bleed in like how good he does on the walk outside to whenever we go out to Orsland's like is anything that I can do to help that yeah so ask yourself how how many times do you go to Orsland's which I'm assuming is like a store I don't know it's kind of like a tractor supply I figured yeah and then (laughs) and then and then how many times you go for your walk so I'll you know they my point is is if you're so like before like you couldn't walk him and yeah. now you can because you spent so much time every – like you have to go into that environment. You're like, I have to go outside to work. Now he's like, all right, I'm cool with this environment. So my first suggestion, I think the easiest route is to spend more time at these places. Like I was saying with the okay. vet is – so, my, so you know, before when you couldn't walk anywhere without reactions, but you spent so much time in that environment and then now he's good. And now when you go to these new environments, again, you'll have to audit in your head like, well – I bring them like once a month or twice a month or whatever. 
And you just have to say like, if you want to get better at that, you have to like, it doesn't, it's just like with anything. You want to get better at photography? Like you can't pick up the camera once a month and go, I'm not good at this. Like, it's like, you got to do it. Like you have to do it over and over and over again in order. For, and that's how you got better outside is you were in yeah. that environment, switching out different pieces of equipment that worked for you and your dog. And now you're where you're at. So my suggestion just right off the bat is to go like, so let me back up for a dog owner. You may think that, oh, my dog is now walking great. But then when you enter an environment, like a new place and your dog doesn't do great, it's confusing, but understand that that's a significant transfer. That's a significant difference of environments, you know? So that's why it's harder, but I would just go to that parking lot, work in that parking lot. Like here's, here's what I would do if you have the time and this is something you could do. Go to the parking lot in the, like don't mm-hmm. feed them. So in the morning, fast them, don't feed them at all. When you get to the parking lot of one of these places, you get out like high reward food, like chicken or beef liver, right? And then mix it in with the kibble or whatever you feed them. And if you feed raw, then just do chicken and liver that's cooked. You know, you can get the treats, you know, the freeze dried. And then you work them in the parking lot. You just make this place the most best place in the whole world. Hey man, we're training, we're having fun. You're hungry. I got food. And then you see how he does. And if he does pretty good, then you load him up and you bring him home and then you do it again. And then maybe the third time you go into the front door, you do all that stuff and then you go out and you really just have to reassociate the environments and copy and paste what you're doing. So that would be my, and then go back down to your like total control equipment. Like when you get to these environments prong collar muzzles back on because that's going to give you the ultimate control in case and because you're in a new environment the in case is going to happen more likely than outside because you've already mastered the outside environment so that's what i would do i mean for personally for me i'd go to the parking lot have fun with them put them in the car for 30 minutes let them chill and then i get them out and then i go inside that's what i would do personally but it really just depends on you know what you want to do but don't overdo it you know walk in Walk through an aisle, sit, yes, good, pay, come, sit, yes, good, pay, make it as fun as you can, pay him with a toy, walk out, put him away and go home. And then just, you know, over time, do that with them. And, you know, but again, it's, it's the same thing we talked about. Um, you get there, you're having fun, he's doing great. And somebody runs up and says, can I pet your dog and scares the shit out of him? And then he reacts. You correct yeah. him, you say, nope sorry, he's in training, they walk away. And then you should just do the best you can to make that training experience as good as you can mold it back up and shape it back up and tune it back up before you leave. But don't, don't, um, again, like don't have the expectations of like, Oh man, he, he reacted. That was terrible. Like that's not your fault. You have a dog that is a little nervy for, you know, maybe genetical problems or reasons. And he's, you know, he's having a hard time. And, and when you get out to these environments, you're just looking for more good days than bad. That's all. And you get out there and you might have one reaction or two and you're like, Hey, that's okay. That kid came on hot or that lady was annoying as hell or whatever. Like there's just situations where you're like, yeah, that wasn't your fault, buddy. It's okay. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, that's what I would do is just flex your muscles in that space. You know, like if you're, if you're trying to build something up, you have to just work at that you know, for a couple of weeks in order for it to, that muscle to grow and get better. 
Okay. Which, because I have him one of those harnesses that says, like, do not pet, like, in training, mm-hmm. you know, like, all that. Just so whenever we do go out in public, obviously he has his mother on and he has that on. So people don't. It helps. Come up often. <laughs> yeah. Obviously some still try to, but yeah. it deters people. But. Mm-hmm. But, um, Okay. Which, and he does not like treats on his walks. Mm-hmm. He only likes toys. I have this specific, like, little rubber toy that's his favorite. And that is the only thing that I can get to keep his focus on me during our walk if he gets distracted. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Or do I need to try to find something that he will eat? I mean, I, I would. Like, if he was, if he came to me for two weeks, I would. I would just, like, we've done that before creatively. We're like, we need this dog motivated. Like, if we can get motivation and we can figure out a reward system, we can teach him, you know, and that's helpful. So, so uh, you know, we've done, again, like the, yeah, because people also are like, yeah, he doesn't like these things. And I look at him and they're like the, you know, the Purina cookies that crumble. I'm like, those are terrible cardboard. Like, put those away. You know, go out and get. Like I, we've done, we've gone up to the supermarket and got like rotisserie, like day old rotisserie chicken is great. They sell them for like yeah. three bucks and you go and you just peel off all the skin. You get all that white meat out and it's smoked and rotisserie. It's like, phew, they love that. That's pretty safe for them too. It's yeah. just, you know, white meat. So there's, there's a lot. I mean, again, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things I would be doing. I, it would be, but, but I also think. In those environments too, it, it might be just like a stress thing. Like some dogs yeah. that come to us at, at, for boarding trains and stuff are also too stressed for the first couple of days to eat because they've, ne- yeah. you know, and that's the thing is they've never been boarded. And it's like, well, that's a problem. Like if you're ever going to board your dog, you should board them often. So when they do go and board and you want to go and ski in the mountain for a week, they're not going to freak out, you know, but if you've yeah. never boarded your dog in their entire life and then you throw them into that environment, they're not going to eat for four or five days because they're stressed out of their mind. So anyway, so I would, yeah, I would just get cre- that personally. That's what I would do is I would get the beef. I, I love the beef liver and the, the chicken liver and the dehydrated stuff. And then again, get creative and go out and get like a, day old cold rotisserie chicken and cut that up and don't feed them and and then when you get out you start working with them and and again like if you were to pull up to that parking lot and then put him right inside he's not going to take food but if you get out and you bring him over and he sniffs around and then you say hey buddy come and you pay him he's not going to be that stressed you might be able to pay him there and then being a corso like it's a little bit more difficult obviously when he's muzzled it's actually impossible but if he's not muzzled you can do you could try to get him into a tug toy, like a professional, not like a squeaky chewy toy that you get on BarkBox. It's going to be like an actual tug toy, you know, that you can put on a long line and you zip around and you get him to chew on it and things like that. So there's a lot of different ways, but you have to be creative to figure it out. And that's what, so what dog training is. It's a, it's an art form. You have to figure out every possible way that you can get in there and, and help the dog, uh, you know, those wheels spin and, uh, motivation is, yeah. a, you know, that reward system is, is a huge part of, but sometimes the dogs just, they don't care and you just have to work through that. But oftentimes dogs who are unfood motivated just don't have the right food. They don't have the right motivation because yeah. they're giving them like, you know, what they would get every day. And they're like, I'm, I don't really care about that. I'm too stressed. But then you get out like something they've never had before and they're like, whoa, what's this? 
See, because I tried the chicken livers and then I tried um, slices of apple because he absolutely loves apple Mm -hmm. and worked for like maybe two times. I was switching out between them. And so for a total, it worked like four times we went out and then he just got tired of it. Mm -hmm. And then that's whenever I over to the toy because I figured, hey, as long as he's still paying attention to me with this toy, we're still making progress. Totally. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too, is sometimes it's, um, they become disinterested because it's a, it's a marketing game. It's a currency game, you know, just like us, like trying to have, trying to have a conversation with somebody standing in the middle of Times Square is probably difficult. And that's what ends up happening with dogs, right? And that's why you got to be very careful. And I've seen a lot of dogs uh, foundation get totally ruined because we rely on food-based systems. And mm-hmm. and I'm not saying re- rewards are always going to happen, but everyone thinks that the only reward a dog can get is food-based. And then what ends up happening is, is you go outside and your dog is so stimulated by everything around. But the problem is, is you just predicated your entire relationship and training for the last 15 weeks of the dog's life off of mm-hmm. one thing, which is reward. And the moment you head yeah. out, I did a video with the little puppy uh, on this, is that he was like obsessed with the food. And then I went to the door and I said, sit. And he forgot that I even existed and he was doing great. And I was just showing people like, this is a clear example of making sure that you're not one dimensional. Like if you're only like, this is all I got in my box. My toolbox is this, this is it. And then your dog's like, I don't give a shit about that. You're screwed. Yeah. That's where, so again, like there's dogs that are like that and you just have to rely on your foundation. Like sit is sit regardless. Like, okay, fine. You don't want to take food. You still got to listen. Right. It's like, yeah. I don't care, man. Like this is what you got to do. So you just have to have that balance. I think that that's just good parenting in general. Like you go outside and you're like, Hey, Timmy, um, it's time, you know, it's dinner time. We got to go inside. I don't want to, well, I, you know, if you're, if you come and eat dinner, we can have ice cream. He's like, I don't want ice cream. Then what? You're yeah. screwed. Well, hey, man, you're coming in to eat dinner regardless. So, you know, get your butt up and let's go. Like this isn't, this isn't, you know, it's not like, oh, well, let's let them play out into the mud until 12 o'clock until they want to come in. It's like, I mean, that's that's one way to do it. But that's certainly the, the best way to get your, your child and your dog to, to run your own life and then have a ton of insecurities and faulties in the, pro, in the future. So, yeah. Yeah. Rich and see, because he is like Cash is like very. He's one of those he wants to please. Sure. Well, yeah, most dogs do. He listens insanely well until you put something in his face, and then it's like he just forgets everything that we've ever done. Right. Sometimes. Well, that's what I'm saying is if you, <clears throat> because again, there's two different. So there's the reward system, right? Which is mm-hmm. what that is is. If you do it, you get paid. If you do it, you get paid. If you do it, you get paid. If you do well, you get paid, right? And you're paying with something. And the moment that the environment's put on a silver platter, something more valuable than your payment, everything that you've just built on goes away. It it immediately dissolves, gone, doesn't exist. You know, it's, 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 it's sad to see a lot of people you know, lean all, all of, yeah, it's a, and I mean, just puppy owners in general, like, but anyway, that's why we, that's why we're here. So, okay. Well, that those are all the things I would suggest and, uh, just keep packing away at it. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast and we're going to get into the first question from O M I J W. 
Love that it's more than obedience. Five-star review. I listen to a lot of dog training material, and I love that this isn't just about teaching puppies obedience trick training. I have two large dogs, a bull mastiff and a Connie Corso, who desperately, or sorry, who despite my best efforts, continue to play wildly in the house. We are bringing a new baby home in a few months, and I need to stop this beforehand. The Corso has high energy and high prey drive and demanding personality. He's the one who won't stop instigating. How do I teach them that it's not okay? It's a great question. So it's not necessarily about teaching the dog that they can't play and playing is not okay. It's about being able to diffuse the situation once this play occurs. So it's like, think about it like this. It's like kids when they, and you'll learn this because it sounds like you're bringing home a new baby. So congrats, but also just wait. (laughs) Just kidding. So it's like when a kid wants to go outside and play kickball or baseball but then they try to do it inside. So it's not telling the kid, hey, you can't play baseball. It's, hey, you can't do this in here. So when you have the dogs roughhousing and playing around, you need to be able to step in and tell them to not do that. And you need to be able to holler at them and say, hey, you know, that's enough. Knock it off. Obedience-wise, I think the best thing to do is simply, you know, say, hey, stop, go to your place. That's what I do with with dogs who are roughhousing. Like Lakota, my dog, example, when we get the baby out in the morning, she's really excited. She loves the baby. She wants to kiss his face and all that stuff. So when we put him down, you know, maybe in his little jumper or whatever, that's the same thing. She's going to want to go over and try to play with him, kiss his face and crawl on him and all this stuff. And that's something that I'm not like, hey, you can't ever do that. You just can't do that in here with this baby, right? You can do that to other dogs. You can do that to other people, but you can't do this here. So what I use is I just use a touch or a place. So when she gets like that, I'm like, go to go to your place. She goes there. I say, stay. And that diffuses that really quickly. So you can use obedience with that. Obviously, with high distractions, with two dogs playing, you're going to get, you're definitely going to get yeah, this high levels of obedience. So you have to make sure that your obedience is is good enough to actually succeed at those goals. So that's a whole you know other conversation with your off-leash training and things like that. So I just think that that's my answer is diffusing the situation with obedience and teaching your dogs that it's inappropriate to play like that in the house. Um, so, you know, if you have a backyard sliding that door open and saying, Hey, sh- go rough house out there is the best thing to do. Um, and just having that control, you know, if you say, Hey, knock it off. Like for me, my, the control with my dogs have always been, if they're doing something and, and I say their name and say, leave it with my voice inflection. I'm like, Hey, that's bad. I have an, I have a relationship and boundaries and respect with my dogs from all of my training techniques and methods that I've done over the years that they go, okay, I'm done. I want to play, but I'm in trouble and I can't, whatever I'm doing, I can't do. And sometimes you don't even need obedience. It's just, Hey, leave it, knock it off. Stop. You just yell like that. And your dog's like diffuse. They go away. That's my wreck. So thanks for listening. Thanks for the review. All right. Next one comes from every username is taken three. I'm not a professional. I'm now a professional certified trainer. Five-star review. Hello, Tom. I've been a huge fan of you as a trainer for the last few years. I've always had the eye for training and natural instinct with my timing when it comes to animals. Having a verbal and visual map of what it was that I was doing naturally has strengthened my training capabilities to the point that I went full-time as a trainer this year and I'm more successful in helping reactive and aggressive dogs than ever. I think I've watched every video, listened to every podcast, and taken some of your courses. I hope to shake your hand one day. I can't even put into words how much you've helped motivate me. Thank you so much for having the passion for dogs and giving away this much information. You're an incredible coach and a friend to all dogs. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, that's the best thing ever. I'm going to post that on my Instagram. That's so lovely to hear. Thank you so much. All right, but I think there's a question here maybe. 
Yeah. I question for your for my personal dog, because I have a four-year-old Border Collie. He's legitimately perfect. He definitely a pet-quality border and gets along well with my two birds and two and three cats. Well, that's interesting. He's extremely well-trained. He doesn't herd my cats often, but I've been interested in getting him into herding. He does well with a lure course and agility and loves them both, and he does well enough to consider competing. He does well enough to I consider competing him. Would introducing him to herding sheep amplify his herding in the house? And now that you've had a four, now that now that he's four years of management and habituation to not herd the cats, I feel like I know your answer to the question, but I love your feedback, Chels. Chels, uh, well, yeah, we talked about that in this podcast with the bite stuff. Um, I think it's the same concept and the same theory, in my opinion. Is I I I totally understand that if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. But to me, it just seems like dogs have these natural instincts to do certain things. In the relationship they have, in your case, with the cats and the birds and you, the dog knows like this isn't the, this isn't the, you know, it's like being a boxer, right? If you're a man or a woman and you just like boxing and you get into boxing, that doesn't mean you're going to come home and box everybody. (laughs) That, I just made that up, but I mean, I think that's pretty applicable, right? You, you go in and you learn MMA. That doesn't mean you're, you learn jujitsu. That doesn't mean you're triangling every single person you see. It just learn. It just means like, Hey, I, I have enough energy and I, I want to hone in on this skill. And when I'm on the mats and I'm in the, when I'm in the gym or whatever, this is, this is when I do that and it makes you better, you know? And, um, so that's my answer is I think, I think that you're only going to see the dog be happier. And when your dog comes home, you're like, that's not the lure. This isn't the lure course. Those cats aren't on the course. I don't, I don't think that's going to be applicable. You know, I just, I just don't. So I appreciate the kind words and you, um, giving me your story, but that's my answer. Kathy five-star review episode 167. Hey Tom, love your podcast. They're helping me so much with my 10 month old chocolate lab. We did a 12 week course with a positive only trainer, which in my opinion, wasted time and money. It may have worked with my last girl, but this girl just learns to manipulate for treats. I'm now correcting this by listening to your podcast and retraining with consequences. Thank you so much for doing these podcasts and helping pups. My question is, is she won't stop stealing our stuff and then she does not give up, not not even for treats. I think it's a combo of resource guarding and just plain fun for her. I've tried the prong collar and e-collar and we st- we started we started to make some slow progress, but what are your advice on how to proceed? She is very smart and extremely food motivated, but she also loves to piss me off and I've made mistakes on letting her see this. In other words, when we work, she's a star. How do you correct this so she can have more freedom around the house? Once again, thanks for your podcast. Um, so stealing things. I'm assuming you're talking about, I don't know. That's what I guess I don't know. Um, food maybe? that's what I need to know is like, what are we stealing objects? Maybe, um, I'm going to go with objects. So like socks, shoes, um, you know, paperwork, whatever. Um, first thing is it, it tends, I mean, you get a 10 month old lab. They're still, that's like a, that's like a puppy still. So they're having fun. Um, they are getting into things, being mischievous. They're doing all that stuff. So I think just in general, naturally, these are going to go down these tendencies and these behaviors are going to go down as your dog matures. Uh, so there's that. I think that that's going to be, that's going to be important. The other thing is, is I think just having a good out, um, 
and leave it is going to be good. So if your dog does get these things, I would be working. Like, don't try to tell a fish not to swim. You know, like that's maybe your dog is always going to want to get into these things, but you, you might want to, or they're puppies and they're just naturally going to get into these things. You might want to just work on your out when they do get this, you can just say, Hey, leave it. Um, the other thing is working on some sort of outlet. So typically dogs who are constantly stealing things aren't as fulfilled as they need to be. So they're not tired enough. So I would just be doing some more mental stimulation, some more obedience training, because I think that that's going to be helpful. Wind things down. Like it, I think 10 months, your dog is going to just naturally stop doing this at some point, having a good out and having a leave it is the best thing. Like you could enforce things with your e-collar off leash with a good out. So your dog gets something you can just, you could single-handedly dismantle that. So your dog grabs something, starts to run away with it. It would be dog out, spits it out, go to your place, go to their place. Then you take it away. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, my dog wouldn't out. That means your dog's behavior is overpowering your skill set so far. Meaning you need to work on your skill sets in order for these things to make sense. Just like off-leash training with recall. Your dog naturally is going to want to run around and be crazy and maybe not come back because there's all this shit out there and it's really fun. And you say, hey, dog, come. They're like, nope, this is way more fun than going back to the car. That's where your obedience comes in. That's where your control comes in. That's where your enforcement comes in. But again, if you want your dog to do something that will solve your problems, but you have a lack of capabilities of doing that because of your training so far and because of your skill set so far, that's a you problem. You just have to get into higher levels of obedience to counter what your dog is doing right now. All right, guys, I'm going to be answering three more. I only have three more questions, which means I'll be out after that. If you're listening to this, there's a great opportunity for you to ask me your question. Head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review. I'll talk to you guys on Monday. Have a good weekend. Have a good week. Bye. Oh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.